Uh, I'm uh, with uh, Marsha and Brian Gleason, who are both uh, clinical social workers and core energetics therapists and specialize in uh, doing body-oriented work with couples. Hi, uh, Brian and Marsha. Hi, Serge. Hello, Serge. Hi. So, uh, since maybe uh, uh, it's not such a common thing to do uh, body-oriented work with couples, do you want to say a little bit about how you came uh, to this specialty? Uh, you want me to take a stab at it, Marsh? Sure, go ahead. Uh, well, Serge, the, the long and the short of it, I guess, is that... Um, I would say we, you know, we both graduated from social work school in the late 70s and really started working with couples um, in the early 80s. And um, it was in the 90s we began working together and really started to look at developing a model for working with couples based on the fact that um, most, many of the couples that we had uh, that you know, we, among our friends and family and even colleagues, we saw people's relationships falling apart. And even though they were really working hard on trying to make them successful, that something wasn't working. And um, it kind of reached a pinnacle. Even when uh, a member of my own family, who had been married for 33 years, uh, got divorced, and uh, uh, we really started to sit down and think about, okay. What is it that makes it so hard for people to stay together? And over the last five or six years, we developed a model that in, that relies heavily on the, on the, on the body work and the, the energy psychotherapy um, as part of an overall model for working with couples. Hmm. So what is it that makes it so hard for people to stay together in your experience? Um... Well, one of the one of the things that um, we have found, you know, in in working with couples from for many years, is that um, couples fall into ingrained patterns of um, interacting with each other and relating to each other, and um, because. Um, partners mean so much to the, the other person, they actually fall into these patterns of relating to each other in safe ways. So some of the ways that they learned to kind of be safe in their own families, like holding back their feelings, uh, protecting each other, um, they kind of recreate some of those patterns in in their current relationship and they get stuck in these patterns. And the more they get stuck, uh, the more distance they they become from one another. And, of course, nobody teaches us um, any skills, really, on how to be deeply connected um, to one another in marriage. Um, and so our interest was really in helping couples to become deeply connected um, to each other and to be able to um, transcend or move past some of those very ingrained um, safe patterns of relating. So maybe could you... Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, I think one of the things that we discovered, even in our own work as a couple, that a lot of what we were learning through therapy we'd be in, we were in and books we were reading was, you know, how to communicate better and how to how to have a more conscious relationship 
But what seemed to be missing is how you deal with the messiness of life, you know, and that sometimes relationships are just damn messy and strong emotions emerge. And there wasn't really a lot out there to help us and other couples to really learn how to work with that energy in a way that kept the relationship alive, you know. So, so that's where I would love to ask you uh, if you could mention some examples of um, that messiness and uh, and how you deal with it. Um, I'll start, and Marsha okay. chime in. Um, the 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 way that we like to work with couples is to provide, you know, uh, really a combination of talk therapy and consciousness where we work with um, the narrative, the story, you know, what couples say about each other and how that relates to their history. Um, but we want to tie that in ultimately within the framework of any session to the experience in the moment between the couple and particularly on the emotional level. So by and large when couples come in, they are in a highly defended state. As Marcia said earlier, you know, because your partner matters so much to you, um, there's a higher level of threat. You know, when we do couples workshops, people are more anxious coming to a couples workshop with their partner than they are when they come to an individual workshop. There's a higher level of threat. Um, so they're in a defended place, and we... Um, you know, we generally see couples start with um, a lot of blame. And we help them in the, over the long haul to move from blame down through layers of feeling that start on a very defended level and gradually move into more vulnerable and expansive feelings. So we work with, in, in core energetics, we talk about the lower self. We work with that destructive current and we create space for that to happen. And the demanding, the, the, the silent demanding needs of the child, we make a space for that. Um, within the context of any session, we'll make a space for these stronger feelings. And when they happen, the softer feelings begin to organically emerge. So for people who are not necessarily familiar with uh, core energetics, do you want to talk a little bit about those lower self feelings that you make a space for? Yeah, I, I can um, I can address that. Um, what we have uh, have found is that um, lower self feelings are really I mean that 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 hate and love are so closely connected in couples, and that in a sense, um, the more you love, the more the other person can hurt you and can trigger you and can push buttons. And therefore, um, the lower self or that part of us that hates the other wants to punish the other. And some people um, carry out their lower self in a, in a very, you know, loud way. And other people um, can just get very silent and punishing. And both is kind of a, you know, a, a lower self energy. Um, and 
we help people to we believe that it's important for the lower self energy to come out because there's a lot of aliveness in that energy. So in other words, if there's a lot of aliveness and, and passion, people can break through that if they have a positive intention to do that and get to loving feelings. Mm-hmm. So we use the, the lower self, but we like to use it with awareness and consciousness and we help people to have a positive intent to move through their lower self. We help them to understand that the lower self is only a part of them. The lower self feels very threatening for couples because it feels like it's all of them sometimes. Yeah, that they're in that energy of hate and thwarting the other and resisting. Yes, it's usually either repressed or it's expressed in a way that's highly dangerous. So could you, could you um, uh, maybe give us an example of a moment where, uh, you know, some client you've had where it's either repressed or expressed in a dangerous manner and what you do to help them um, accept it and deal with it and find the energy of it? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that um, it's a process of helping people to... Um, express their lower selves and um, I mean we have had um, situations in our in our office where um, we've had people not not a whole lot but sometimes be on the verge of kind of losing control and and what we like to do is we like to provide a lot of education mm-hmm. the lower self we normalize the lower self we define it as an energy in the relationship that's very related to passion. Mm -hmm. And we have developed a process that we call the full self-expression process that helps people get from what we call the very charged feeling of blame and anger and intense lower self and move through other layers of feeling through their fear, through their hurt, their remorse and then ultimately to love mm-hmm. so it makes it safer in a session if the other partner knows that the, the person isn't going to stay in their lower self energy right. that somehow within the session that that energy will be transformed into more vulnerable softer feelings yeah, plus you have already provided the container of uh, uh, normalizing it. and uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and if I could just add a little bit to that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, like typically um, the pattern that you're most apt to see is, you know, the expression of the lower self is rarely comes, you know, comes across cleanly and directly. Mm-hmm. Like I want to get you. You know, that kind of energy that says, I want to punish you, I want to hurt you, I want to get you. That hardly ever happens directly like that. And yet it's an undercurrent that's there between people. So it it emerges often as criticism and judgment. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, to, you know, extreme levels where people are, you you know, insulting and demeaning toward their partners. But oftentimes just kind of nagging and complaining and and nitpicking, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But underneath it, there's an intent oftentimes. And we help people to try to discover that intent, you know, which is, you know, 
some small part of me wants to make you feel small, mm-hmm. feel worse than I feel, make you feel as bad as you make me feel, mm-hmm. you know, wants to punish you or wants to hurt you. you know? mm-hmm. Owning that piece is vital. It's critical to kind of transcending the, 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 the difficult patterns people would get into. And just quickly, I'll say the other, the other way it shows up is through withholding. Mm-hmm. Um, so oftentimes, again, people... You know, if you ask them, you know, why why don't you come out and say what's going on as well? Because, you know, it's, it's pointless. It won't help. Why bother? But underneath it, there's a negative intent, and that's to punish mm-hmm. the partner by not giving to them, by not showing up, you know. And once a person can claim that energy surge, then... Um, it's liberating you know, yeah. to own it. I really, I really, you know, I do want to punish it. It's an aha moment, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes it takes a while for people to get there, but it is really an important part of our work. Yeah, I can see that. And, um, you know, so obviously a lot of it is uh, insight, getting to one of those aha moments. So what tools of, um, you know, that might be body-related do you use uh, in the process of doing that? And how do you interweave that with the uh, the talk part? Um, I understand it's not something that happens the same in every case, but can you maybe give us an example of how that might happen? You, you want to go, Marsh? Sure, go ahead. Um, um, almost always in the beginning of a session, the first thing we do is, um, first off, we arrange the, the seats so that people face each other. And what you invariably discover, because we have movable seats, people will come in, and before we sit down, they'll turn their seats to face us. Mm-hmm. So we're constantly saying to them, uh, why don't you turn your seats and face each other, you know? Because energetically, when they talk to us, they're talking about their partner almost like they're talking in the third person, you know? They're not directing the energy toward the person. Mm-hmm. So when we have them face each other, the very first thing we do is um, have them, well, we either have them close their eyes and go inward, and experience what they feel in the moment and then open their eyes and look at their partner and notice the difference of what happens when they receive their partner, when they take their partner in. Mm -hmm. So it's a very soft movement into connection to the immediate experience. And oftentimes we'll have a whole session that will come out just out of what's going on when they look at each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they want to come in and tell you a story. And so in, in, the, in the mentoring work that we do with couples, uh, you know, the story, the narrative is the, is the part that they tell you why things are the way they are. And there's value in that. But ultimately, it's helping them to, to be in the moment, to be in the experience between each other where the greatest things happen. So we do a lot of what we call leading by following, which means that we watch the energy between them and then we suggest, you know, so we might say, um, it looks like, you know, you're going away when your husband's speaking. Mm-hmm. What's going on right now? Um, or that I just noticed a look of concern come over your face. Could you tell us about that? So, so what you're doing is um, a part of your work is tracking the uh, physical symptoms of what's happening. Yeah, and, and, and really ultimately teaching them to do that as well. Mm-hmm. You know? 
And, but the, the, the other piece which relates to our model and also to the cornergetic model is we, we call it catalyzing. And, and it's really like then prompting them to do things, mm-hmm. giving them suggestions, like to say things, to express things, maybe to move it in some, some stronger energy um, through louder expression. Uh, like letting the, the demanding child that comes in, that that's, it, we feel this child in the room that's saying, you have to take care of me, you have to make, you know, lots of money, you have to make my life safe, you have to uh, give me lots of sex. Mm-hmm. You know, these voices that are there but unspoken, we might catalyze them by suggesting that they energize these voices, mm-hmm. bring them out to each other. So, when you say energize these voices, is it? saying it and hearing themselves say it? Is it also, say, beating up on pillows if it's more aggressive? I mean, what's, um, what's part of your toolbox in that area? Well, pretty much everything. You know. okay. um, there is, there is, I know there's a lot of controversy in, um, in the whole field of psychotherapy and even in the body-oriented field about the, the, the value of strong energy work. Mm-hmm. We tend to believe that there is a place for it, mm-hmm. and that you know that you know much like a kid, you know, human beings are self-regulating organisms. If they are allowed to express their emotions, they return to a steady state, to an equilibrium. And in couples, sometimes people need to yell at each other. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't just develop conflict resolution skills on a flat level. There's a need for expression, so we will use um, big soft foam cubes and um, we have equipment that I got from my karate school, you know, punching bags and things like that and um, we, we organize in a way where there's a lot of consciousness because ultimately the person has to take responsibility for their feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have somebody hit in blame per se. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might be a little bit of that, but we quickly take them into what's really going on underneath, you know. But it can get loud at times and, and very, um, you know, we have a big room so people can move around. Yeah. So, so really, that's uh, it's uh, energetic work as uh, part of uh, road to self-regulation. Yeah. Again, you know, if you if you if we look at the children as our models, children maybe not maybe don't have high levels of consciousness and therefore an ability to have empathy, mm-hmm. you know, and altruism and and, and deep, you know, full mature love, but they sure know how to move their feelings. You know, they cry, they throw tantrums, when they get scared, they run for hugs, you know. They let the feelings come, wash through them, and they're gone pretty quickly, you know. And they could be screaming one minute and laughing the next. Mm-hmm. You know? We have something to, to learn from them because that's what the human body wants to do. It wants to regulate itself through um, emotional expression. Yeah. Yeah. We, we actually have a term for um, the, the feelings, the the, um, the primary feelings we call them, which is anger, uh, fear, sadness, grief, 
um, and we call them restorative feelings. Mm. And the reason that we call them restorative feelings is because when expressed um, with awareness and, and a positive intention to get through them, that they actually not only restore the person to a sense of equilibrium, but they restore the relationship to mm-hmm. a sense of equilibrium. And when we're little, you know, it's not so much that our parents don't need don't meet our needs that wound us. I mean, that's part of it. But it's that they don't hear the emotional reactions. They can't um, really take in and accept and hear those feelings so that the relationship can be restored. So we like to refer to those those feelings as restorative feelings, mm-hmm. that they restore us to a certain sense of equilibrium, and it happens within the relationship as well. And we, we see it over and over and over again that people become more connected after they've done some deep expression, after they've allowed some of that tension to release from their bodies. Right. So definitely this is a, a part of your work that uh, where uh, it would be impossible to ever achieve the same result without having uh, using the body. Well, that's that, how we're trained and mm-hmm. that's how we have seen, we've seen over and over again just how much closer people get and how much more of a deep experience they have when when we do use the body and the energy work and it's it's not always big and loud sometimes mm-hmm. it, you know it can be very soft it can be very joyous um, and I can actually give you an example of that in the last couple session that that we that we led um, if you're interested mm-hmm. absolutely well we've been working with this woman and um, recently she's been identifying her her husband um, refers to her affect as being flat and unemotional and she she can't really give him her positive feelings and recently we've begin we've begun to look at the source of that which was as a child her mom was very jealous of her um, relationship with her father so her mother actually made it scary and difficult for her to express positive feelings so one of the things that we had her do is is jump up and down and express the part of her that really wanted a love we mm-hmm. wanted her to um, have the part of her that was afraid of expressing all this positive stuff to stand back and let that joyous child ex- express the love for her husband. And it was it was very, very beautiful, and he, of course, re- received it very willingly. Mm, that's beautiful, yeah. So, um, you know, we not only work on the... Um, the charged negative feelings, um, but we also help to charge the positive feelings as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you always work as a couple, as therapists, or do you sometimes work with one therapist for a couple? And if so, do you notice a difference, or what's the, uh, the logic for working as a couple? Well, we do work um, individually, and mostly it's a logistical thing because it's hard to get four people together. Yeah. Um, so we do, you know, work separately. Um, personally, I love working with Brian, and um, there's definitely a, 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 
positive aspect to having the male and the female, the mother and the father, you know, the masculine and feminine energy. And it's, it's just nice to have another perspective in the room. And what goes on in the workshops that you give? Did you want to talk, honey? <laughs> yeah, and I'm not quite sure how to <laughs> put that into words. Um, it's a more intense experience, Serge. Um, what 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 happens is um, we we lead beginning we lead beginning workshops for couples and advanced workshops, and we just led an advanced one a couple weekends ago. And um, <clears throat> what happens is. Uh, we really try to make space. We keep the workshop small. And we, we try to make space for each couple to really be the focal point of um, a certain amount of time where they're getting the, the, the attention of the group and we're helping them to work through or to um, go deeper into a process or a place where they're struggling in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And so it... You know, if people are dealing with sex, you know, there are some people coming in with sexual struggles, some people coming in with, um, you know, difficulty in dealing uh, and managing um, conflict in their relationship and just, you know, any kind of uh, problem you can imagine that couples have. And, you know, if you're in a relationship, you're gonna, you know, inevitably you're going to bump up against difficulties. Yeah, so it's all there, and um, and we will use uh, couples. We will use pe- the people in the room to support something. So there, uh, that that might be happening. So there might be some like we would use with you know what is often referred to as psychodramatic techniques. We will use people in the room as family members or as people that are part of a process. You know, like friends or coworkers or something. Um, generally family members and that would play out certain roles. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we have people challenge their limits basically in these workshops. So uh, Marcia and I have, uh, we use the term, she was talking about this earlier, we use the term control patterns to describe the habits that people fall into where they avoid the, the primary restorative feelings. Mm-hmm. So if people are afraid to you know, connect to their anger or uh, their fear or their sadness and grief, um, they develop control patterns. And we will do things to challenge those control patterns. So typically somebody might, they might use humor as a control pattern, you know, to avoid their partner's hostility. Or they might be the good girl or the good boy, you know. Or they use controlling behaviors, you know, Mm -hmm. bossiness or abandonment or withdrawing behaviors, withholding behaviors. And all of these are challenged in the workshop. People, you know, are really the center of attention for the whole group and are um, asked and invited to um, move beyond them and to enter into somebody's feeling space. Mm. Wow, that sounds like a very powerful uh, situation to have a... Uh, an opportunity for mindfulness about uh, these avoidance of um, the restorative feelings, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we'll even take a, a pattern that they use. Like in the last workshop, we, we, there was somebody who, um, 
it gets into this habit of pleading with their partner to give them, you know, and tries to convince them to pleading. You know, I just want this from you. I just need you to, to understand. And they, and they kind of get into this really dramatic uh, mm-hmm. exposition of, uh, you know, their needs of the partner, and it's very pleading. So we will actually, you know, in the, in the session we had with them, we we invited him to really exaggerate that pattern and stand on his knees and, you know, really get into begging her, you know, and to feel the energy of that place because he, you know, because he, he didn't see it, you know. Yeah. Everybody in the room could see it, but he, he didn't see the level at which he was, you know, kind of... Uh, getting into that energy of, of, of kind of begging her for mm-hmm. what he wanted and it, it helped him to, to, to drop deeper and it, you know we do it in a loving way mm-hmm. not in a you know because none of this stuff you know we're all we all fall into patterns mm-hmm. of behavior that we're not really clear about and we're human and we all you know kind of in our desire to hold on to our partner we'll do whatever it takes and we fall into these patterns so you know, Marsha and I are not, you know, free of our own stuff in this mm-hmm. respect. And so we, we do this stuff very respectfully with people, but we do challenge them. That sounds beautiful. So this was a really wonderful conversation as the uh, time ends. Unfortunately, we have to stop it here, but I wanted to say thanks for sharing some of your experience and practice and ideas with us. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com.